Bummer, man. Five-star bummer. Too bad. I know it's been several hours since the announcement's been made. Uh, Lebius Overton is going to be announcing on Friday. There's an announcement that he is going to announce tomorrow. And uh, we all know what that means, Parker Thune. And we've been saying it now for several weeks. Uh, several weeks. If he takes the OU visit on the spring game, then, hey, you'll take your chances. But that Ohio State, that Oklahoma visit, not going to happen. Seems pretty obvious what's going to happen tomorrow afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, what we feared uh, would happen did happen. You wanted to believe it wasn't going to happen and that even if Oklahoma didn't end up with LT Overton, they were at least going to get a chance to pitch the program and pitch the vision. They didn't even get that. No, I guess my question would be, why? Why is he not at least taking the Ohio State and Oklahoma visit? He's going to enroll this summer, not until the summer, to A&M where he's probably going to pick tomorrow. And I'm sure that A&M was really on him this weekend, Parker, of don't take that visit to Columbus or Norman. Just exactly. go ahead and announce it on Friday. But like, what does he have to lose by not taking those visits? Why would he <clears> – he already reclassified. So why make the announcement Friday? Why not just wait till another month's time until after the spring game? What what does he have? To, I mean, even if even if the decision was still going to be A and M in the end, why not take the the final two visits? You've come this far. Well, I mean, why not? I there's an answer. There's an answer. I don't know if it's a it's the right answer. This is purely speculation. But here's the thing. Now that nil, it, now that we have nil legislation in place, Tyler. Now that you can buy talent. Now that essentially paying players is legal. There's a certain way to leverage that. Consider this. What if Jimbo Fisher and A&M said, hey, here's the amount of money that you're about to make if you and your brother come to Texas A&M. And, oh, by the way, if you pull that Ohio State visit off and you pull that Oklahoma visit off and you just announce this week, we'll kick in a little extra. That's the only thing I could think of is exactly what you're talking about. The school that is heavy on NIL right now, they're saying – Here's what it looks like if you commit this week. Here's what it look looks like if you commit kind of after the fact. I mean, and I don't I, – I really believe that too, Parker, seeing as he's going to announce on Friday. Like he's not going to announce two weeks after the A&M visit or three weeks. I mean, it's going to be less than a week since his visit to A&M and he's already going to announce. But it, it's a bummer. Um, this won't – this single decision will not, you know – I don't think it's going to severely impact OU's national championship hopes moving forward one way or the other, but more than anything, Parker, I would have just loved the message it would have sent across the country saying the staff's only been on campus for about four months and they pulled one of the most coveted players in an entire class. You won't have that opportunity now, but there are other five-star defensive linemen that they're in on in, in future classes. I, I guess that's the glass half full take here. Yeah, well, the glass half empty take is, well, you missed on Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, and A&M got him. You missed on LT Overton, presumably, and A&M got him. Who's to say it's going to be any different with David Hicks? That's the glass half empty take, because at this point, you lost out on a five-star defensive lineman to A&M once. You lost out twice. Who's to say you're not going to lose out three times? 
Yeah. I mean, and with what David so. Hicks has said in the past about wanting to play alongside LT Overton, it's not to say that, oh, if LT Overton picks A&M, it's a done deal David Hicks is following. But Hicks himself has acknowledged, hey, that'll be something I pay attention to is where LT ends up. Sure. I, OU fans uh, did a really nice job yesterday of taking this in stride. I was, I know I was impressed legitimately. Yeah, our, our text line, because that broke yesterday during the rush. Yep. And I read it, and the text line was going off, and everyone was basically saying, ah, oh, well, he'll be on our roster in a year's time. It's not that, <laughs> it's not that big of a concern. Everyone's like, ah, you don't get him in recruiting, you'll get him uh, via the transport por- transfer portal. It's okay. So, all right, bummer. You're going to miss out on this kid. You're not even going to have him for the spring game. Um, is anyone's excitement for the spring game lowered now since the uh, Overton brothers aren't going to be in town? I'm not saying that that I am. I, I'm just wondering, text line, do your feelings or excitement about the spring game at all change be- because two kids aren't going to be there? I don't fall in that camp. It was going to be a major bonus, no doubt about it, but it still sounds like it's going to be a pretty big recruiting weekend, Parker Thune. It will be, and I would expect you'll have at least a couple dozen elite prospects on hand. Uh, we've already confirmed several, including five-star defensive lineman Nigel Smith, a 2024 prospect out of Melissa, Texas, who probably becomes the headliner at this point now that the Overtons are out of the picture. But there will be others. Trey Wisner is going to be in town. Uh, I'm trying to think offhand. The interesting thing is, and I don't know if we mentioned this yesterday or not, Tyler, uh, Jacoby Fowler, three-star running back out of Lake Gibson High School in Florida. Came on the OU visit with his teammate Brayshawn Williams this past weekend and loved OU. Loved it. I mean, we spoke on the phone and he was glowing about the experience uh, with Oklahoma. And look, the reality is a guy like that, his only offers right now are Coastal Carolina, Florida Atlantic, and UConn. That's not a guy that's going to register on the radar sure. for Oklahoma in terms of being an offer guy. But he has a teammate. He has a teammate, Tyler, that is one of the top five players in the nation. That would be five-star cornerback Cormani McLean. Yes. Now, Jacoby Fowler told me that he and Brayshawn loved OU so much that not only are they going to try to get back to Oklahoma in the very near future, but they're going to try to bring Cormani along with them. Yeah, that'd be nice. Wouldn't it? Yeah. We talk about uh, elite defensive linemen all the time, and, I mean, for, for good reason – but elite corners will do you a lot of good as well. Elite corners, and especially in college football, if you can lock down a number one option or lock down a side of the field, um, that's worth its weight in gold when we're talking about playing great defense in the sport. And Helps again, out quite a bit. And look, does this mean Oklahoma is going to be a contender for Cormani McClain? No, it's kind of one Gives of the chance things where you got you got to see it to believe it. If he visits, then maybe uh, the hype starts to pick up a little bit. But – the very knowledge that he has people in his corner, people who are close to him, saying, hey, you, you need to get up there and check out what they're building at OU. That's significant. Yeah, well, spring game will still be a big weekend with the with the with uh, all the recruits that are still in, even though the Overtons won't be here. Um, is Micaiah just going to sit beside Lebius tomorrow while he's announcing? And wherever Lebius picks, Micaiah is going to say, yeah, me too. <laughs> Just like I, how Micaiah is in on his younger brother's recruitment, Parker. Tomorrow is you know Lebius's day. Like, how's Micaiah going to announce where? I mean, it's going to be A and M, I'm guessing. 
But, like, where does he fit into the announcement tomorrow and his decision and everything else? I, I don't think that this is going to happen, but it would be kind of funny if Lebius goes to A&M and Micaiah calls OU like, hey, I, I know he's going elsewhere, but is my offer still good? You guys still want me? Just curious. This is entirely unsustainable. And I talked about this at the top of the noon hour with Steely. But the reality is what Texas A&M is doing right now, yeah, it's sexy. And, yeah, it's commanding the headlines. And, yeah, it's generating a lot of buzz for the program down there in College Station. I find it hard to believe that it's going to result in any meaningful progress for that athletic department in terms of success on the football field. It's not sustainable at all. There is no way you can just throw a bunch of talent into a system, a whole bunch of talent at that, that was primarily lured to campus by the promise of NIL dollars, and say, all right, we're going to go compete for a national championship. Because you have to have talent to win, sure. But you also have to have culture, and you've got to have elite coaching. I think Jimbo Fisher is a good coach. I think Jimbo Fisher is capable of building an outstanding program at Texas A&M. But not with a bunch of guys who are coming to your campus to play football because it's going to result in financial security for them. Tell me what you think about this. I think Jimbo Fisher is a lot like, let's say, an Ed Ogeron. Okay. Let's say, um, you know, a head coach at, at Auburn, you know, something like that. I mean, whichever example you want to use here. I feel like Jimbo Fisher could build a team, but Jimbo Fisher couldn't build a program. Could he capture lightning in a bottle? and find the perfect quarterback and build an A&M team that could really push and challenge in the SEC one year? Yes. But as soon as he wins big at A&M, I feel like the very next year they build a team, not a program, and it looks like LSU after the 2019 National Championship. They're god-awful and everything just almost burns down in place. Like I'm with you. I don't trust Jimbo Fisher to turn this group of athletes, as talented as they are, into a legitimate championship contender. It's going to go one or two ways, man. It's They're either going to be right, and they're going to break through and win an SEC title, or it's going to be a disaster. And I would tend to think, Parker, that it's going to be more of the latter. And now the rebuttal to that is, well, sometimes you just have so much talent that even a coach can't get in the way, they're going to win big. LSU in 2019 is a recent sure. example. But Texas has had talent every single year for God knows how many decades now, and it's only resulted in one national championship since, what, the mid-'70s? And that, it took Vince Young, the best player in program history, to finally break through and win. A&M's got a lot of talent, there's no doubt. There's probably more talent in College Station right now than there's ever been. But that doesn't mean jack squat in terms of actually breaking through and winning a conference championship. I'll reiterate, I think half of A&M's 30 signees in this class operating under the presumption that they sign LT Overton tomorrow. I think at least half of those guys don't finish their collegiate careers at A&M. Because if they're coming for the money... The reality is only about half those dudes are going to play anyway because there are, there are only 22 starting spots on the football field. Yeah. You got 22 starters. All the rest of the guys are riding the pine. And so the guys that show up and get beat out, they're going to get their bag and they're going to hit the transfer portal and they're going to go somewhere that they can play. Totally, man. 
Yeah, I, you, you can't. You, you're not going to be able to keep everyone happy. Um, is it going to look like OU bringing in three five-star wide receivers and we l- see what that looks like now? Um, well, hopefully no one's, you know, making a robbery down there or anything like that. But I would tend to think that, yeah, this probably ends in a disaster for A&M. Let me get to some text real quick on the Air Conference Solutions text line before we hit a break. Uh, LT and family show the complete integrity in college sports, especially with his father being an AD. Good luck to A&M keeping all those guys. Several have to go in the portal to get playing time. That's what I'm saying. It's exactly what I'm saying. If you're if you're wanting to go to Texas A&M to play football, as opposed to get your bag, you better be elite. You better be able to beat out three or four other five stars at your position. And the other end of things that we haven't even really talked about, Tyler, is that you recruit your problems, as Brent Venables says. Sure. And who's to say that all these five stars stay in line? And who's to say that their young, blossoming characters aren't corrupted by the influence of all the money that's going to be thrown their way? Because A&M, as we mentioned yesterday, they've had two former five-star recruits enter the transfer portal this week. One of them, Demond Demas, has some legal issues, let's just put yes, it that way, hanging over his head. That's just one example of the effect that this type of culture can have on a young athlete. And that's not to say you're going to get another Demond Demas. That's not to say a guy like Evan Stewart is the next Demond Demas. But again, when you recruit guys because they want the bag, you are recruiting your problems. You are recruiting all of the negative side effects that come as a consequence of players coming to your campus in order to get paid. And not just that, the friction that it creates in the locker room, man. I mean, you're almost going to have two clicks, the paid guys and the unpaid guys. <laughs> That's not really a situation that you want existing on, on your football team, man. Uh, Peter Woods put OU in his top four. Haven't heard much of his name. Where does OU stand? He's never visited campus. Yeah. Todd yep. Bates is the only reason Oklahoma's in the top four. I would be astonished if he goes anywhere but Alabama. That is obviously the state in which he grew up. His parents went to Alabama. He's had that offer since early, early on, I believe midway through his freshman year of high school. Yeah, he, he there's only one crystal ball in for him, and it's pretty old. It's to Alabama, but yeah, Bama looks like the call there. I wouldn't get uh, too worked up about Peter Woods and, and OU. Uh, one more. Here's what scares me. If they can afford to do this for four years, they will be good at some point, and then they won't have to pay to bring guys on. I think A&M's going to have to always pay to bring guys on. They're always going to have to recruit against Alabama. They're always going to have to recruit against LSU and Oklahoma and even Texas. And as we've talked about multiple times, A&M's had an edge in the state of Texas now for about a decade because they have the draw of the SEC. Not anymore, man. That's going away. And I think that even exists now because you can recruit and sell the promise of the SEC to these kids if you're Texas and OU. There is no school, I think, more damaged by Texas and OU going to the SEC and recruiting more than A&M because they kind of lose that that flair of being the only SEC school in the state of Texas. And that's why they were so upset last summer when the announcement was made. I mean, it's, it's no mystery. Well, and look at these observations via the Air Comfort Solutions text line. You get paid before you do the work. You get lazy. Mo' money, mo' problems. 
Why would the player who's receiving NIL money without even stepping on the field care whether they're playing? They're getting them. Okay, well, that's probably that's a conversation. That's a can of worms we need to open next segment because we're running up against All the right, break. We'll but. do that. Keep the text flowing in. Air Cover Solutions text line 405-651-3439. More football on the other side right here on the ref. Parker's got a crystal ball. He's got five crystal balls in this week. Maybe we'll get more uh, by the weekend. Yeah, knows, I, th- I think you will. Oh, really? Just, just a hunch. Huh. Uh, by the way, on that, and I totally lost my place on the text line of where I was going to, to go, uh, basically someone wanting to know about uh, Peyton Bowen and what the current situation with that is, <laughs> where OU's at. <laughs> yeah, That's well, I guess... That's an evil laugh. That might be good. I, I guess I can dish on that now that it's kind of it's kind of out there that he's visiting this weekend. Uh, Peyton Bowen has been to Oklahoma a lot. I want to say this is unofficial visit number four. Yeah. For him. And again, he's committed to Notre Dame at the moment. No one is all too convinced that that commitment is going to stick. Particularly if OU elects to offer his younger brother, Eli. By the way, I just realized the other day, Peyton and Eli, what are the odds? Um, Better than you would think, <laughs> see, judging by their age. Judging by their age, I guess it does make sense. I wonder if it's intentional or not. By the way, Peyton Bowen is a four-star safety at a Denton Geyer. Yeah, so the reality is, Tyler, if you're committed to Notre Dame, but you keep showing up to OU, what 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 does that say? Yeah, four unofficial hey, visits. And, and hey, he's not showing up anywhere else either. Yeah, four unofficial visits um, from Denton to Norman, which we know what a disaster driving in Denton can be at times. So making the effort, spending the money for four unofficial visits – if he's going to be in town this weekend, then yeah, something something's going on here. And and this goes to show, you know, Brent made the the comments. What was it last week about? You know, if you're committed here, know what commitment looks like. They demand that out of guys that are currently committed to OU. But look, Parker, it looks like if guys are committed elsewhere and they want to take a visit here, well, they don't necessarily hey, have an, they don't have an issue with that. Come one. on along. So yeah, look. I think if I had to put money down, I think at this point all signs point in the direction of Peyton Bowen ultimately becoming a Sooner. It'd be a big flip. It would be. Especially and, with Notre Dame, who's got the number one recruiting class right now. Yeah. And, look, it's not a sure thing. Peyton Bowen really likes Notre Dame. The top two schools for him were always Notre Dame and Oklahoma. But the old staff at Oklahoma quit recruiting him kind of out of the blue. That left a sour taste in his mouth. And he decided to commit to Notre Dame. When the new staff looped back around, said, hey, come take another look, that's when the uh, the interest started to accelerate on the other end. So it's a work in progress. OU is going to continue to push the envelope on this one and see if they can get Peyton Bowen in position to flip. I, I'm not counting on it, but I will say this. If you are reading between the lines – it is really hard to imagine that Peyton Bowen's commitment to Notre Dame sticks because he just keeps showing up at Oklahoma. Yeah. Hey, as always, we uh, appreciate all the interaction on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Seriously, you got recruiting cre- uh, questions, football questions, whatever, uh, hit us up there. We'll do our best to answer it. There's a lot of Lebius Overton questions on the text line right now. Let me just um, let me just say this, and we'll get to more of these texts. 
we had a conversation yesterday on the rush, and I'll, I'll give it up to Teddy. It was a it was a really good point. Is OU fans were oh okay well whatever Lebius will be here in a year's time. It's not that big of a deal. Well, maybe, maybe guys like this hop in the portal after a year or two, and maybe they show interest in OU. But if their decision was very heavily NIL involved, if you know what I mean, is Brent Venables the type of coach just to circle back and say, oh, yeah, 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 hey, I I know you didn't pick us the first time. You might have picked NIL over us, but no hard feelings. We'll definitely take you this time. I don't know if Brent Venables. Brent Venables may seem like that type of guy. Yeah, Brent Venables might be that type of guy that says, well, you made your selection the first time around. Honestly, we're good, man. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate it, but we're we're good here. I, because it's it's pretty well known at this point that, you know, OU had a player that hopped in the portal during the season last year, wanted to come back on the team, and BV and staff said, nah, we're good, actually. We're okay. Back to the text line and that question. Oh, I- we talked about that two days ago. That's not that awkward. What is? What, what, I'm, what I was just talking about. Oh. I, yeah. Um back to this question that we were uh that we were tossing around at the end of last segment. Why would the player who's receiving NIL money without even stepping on the field care whether they are playing? They're getting the money, they don't care. I think they're no I think they know they are not going to the NFL. I would dispute that. I think at the end of the day, a lot of players who come into the collegiate game as a very highly regarded recruit have an NFL dreams. They want to be playing professional football one day. The money is a sugar high. That's what it is. Because there are very few true freshmen that walk onto a college campus and immediately have the expectation that they're going to play right away placed on their shoulders. So in the meantime, if you're a young athlete and nobody really expects you to play right away, and you don't have the pressure of having to come in there and be the guy on day one. Not to say you don't want that, but just to say nobody expects that. In the meantime, if you can collect a nice little sum of money for yourself while you're working the scout team, riding the bench, getting situational snaps, but yielding to the elder statesman, then that's going to be a pretty comfortable situation for you. But what happens two to three years down the road when you haven't cracked the starting lineup yet. Sure. What happens when you realize, man, if I want to get to the NFL, if I want to be able to buy my mom a house and let my parents retire and get that Lambo I've always wanted to drive around, if that's what I want, I got to put some tape up, man. I got to get snaps. I got to see on-field action. I got to be on the field a lot. And it's not happening here. Then you're gonna you're gonna look elsewhere. That's the nature of the transfer transfer portal era. If you are not playing, and you believe in your heart of hearts that you have an NFL future, as long as you can prove to scouts that there is something there, then you're gonna hit the portal. We see it all the time. We uh, see it all the time. Let me read one more. You guys have a consider. They probably structure the NIL based on individual and team performance. Like all conference, all American stuff like that. Uh, conference and national championships equal across the board bonus. Uh, it's the same thing companies do. That would be uh, the way to encourage performance at the highest level. 
True. Maybe some of that is going on, but most of that, if not all of that, is going to be guaranteed. Uh, and that's the way that A&M's doing it right now. It's not necessarily incentive-based. They're just basically probably saying, hey, here's what you can earn over your three- to four-year career. So maybe there is some incentive-based, Parker. I wouldn't feel like that's, that's, very, that's very heavy for a program like A&M, though. No, nah, they don't seem that smart. That would be an intelligent way to go about this, but here's the reality, Tyler. I don't think anybody has really thought ahead as far as the whole NIL conversation is concerned. I'm not sure whether anybody has made plans to that effect because I think when the NIL legislation became law and became effective and all of a sudden you could shell out money to collegiate athletes, everybody was like, all right, let's throw money their way. Nobody had a real plan. That's the reason why there were so many... I, 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 that's the reason why you saw the dark side of the moon within six months as it pertains to the whole NIL conversation. Yeah. And so I'd like to believe that maybe there are some programs that have wised up in terms of how they're going to play the NIL game and structure it for their athletes. But I don't know, man. We just – and I, I, I know I had hinted at it a couple of weeks ago, but it's kind of common knowledge now, so I, I can come out and say it. We just watched Tennessee promise $8 million to a quarterback that's a junior in high school right now. And not even the number one quarterback in a class, by the way. He's top tier. He's top three. He's top tier yeah. for sure, but I, I think the, the two guys in front of him, I um, feel like most people would say that those two guys are better. I mean, this is this isn't Arch Manning they offered $8 million to, right? I mean, that this isn't a name that carries a lot of weight with the Manning last name and all that. I mean, this is a kid from the state of California going to Tennessee. I, I just, it's nuts. I dude. think Nico's better than Arch, but it does make me wonder, what is the figure going to be for Arch? And how much is that going to come into play? Yeah, um, probably. He's on Twitter now, by the way. That's he, a thing. He is. Okay, well, probably depends where where he goes. I mean, if he ends up going to Texas, I mean, that, that number's going to be massive. I mean, it'll be big where, wherever he goes. But I feel like at Texas it might be. Texas is maybe more willing, Parker, to throw an incredible number out at him than an Alabama would be at this point. Yes, because they're a little bit more desperate. By the way, uh, has nothing to do with what we've been talking about, and this should not be a surprise because he's a five-star running back. But uh, saw some clips of Stacy Gage earlier today. Oh my! Uh, yeah, that kid can ball. He's uh, he's really good. Uh, OU seemingly feeling pretty good where OU's where, where they're at right now with Stacy Gage. Yeah, I, I would hope so. Yeah, I'd, I I wouldn't count on him pulling a Kamar Wheaton. And or Jace McClellan. God, let's hope not. I think he ends up at Oklahoma. All right, text 405-651-3439 on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. We'll talk more college football on the other side. It's locked in right here on the ref. Locked in with McComas and Thune right here on the ref. We're inside the Brown O'Haver Studios. Shaking my head a little bit right now. Um, this is as this is as off-season as off-season gets. I guess Andy Staples currently has his blue bloods in college football. <laughs> Alabama, okay, we're good there, right? Here's his best guess at college football Blue Bloods as they stand today. Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, what? LSU, Michigan, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Penn State, 
Texas and USC. What? Okay, so so many questions. I had the same sound when I heard yeah, uh, about so, three of those so, schools. So many questions here. First off, what are the parameters here? Like, how is he categorizing blue blood? I I, I don't know, but whatever he's using is wrong, especially with Auburn and Penn State. I don't know which is the worst on this list. Is it Auburn? Is it Georgia? Is it Penn State? God, is it Texas? It might be Texas. They're still in the decade of suck. Actually, the decade of suck has extended now. We're 10-plus years of the decade of suck now. Look, if you're talking about blue bloods, and that conversation includes Texas but not Nebraska? Yeah, it's not a, seriously. Like, and look, I understand Nebraska hasn't been good for a quarter century. That's still a blue blood, people. But at least Nebraska had the 90s. Texas has not had something that's resembled the 90s. Texas was good in the late 60s and the early 70s, but not anything close like the decade run in the 90s like Nebraska had. Doesn't I mean, Penn really State, anything close. Penn State has, what, one national title? Penn State has two claimed national championships, 1982 and 1986, um, and only four Big Ten titles, 94, 05, 08, and 2016. Like, Penn State is looked at as a major college football program. They have the stadium size of, you know, one of the elite programs out there. But their history, man, does not resemble a blue blood. Like, they're a well-known program, and everyone knew who Joe Paterno was because he was there for so long, but national success? No way Penn State is a blue blood. I'm sorry. There's no chance. And where did where did Auburn come Auburn, from? Auburn, I don't this? know where Auburn came from. Auburn has small spurts of success throughout its program history, but if you talk about someone that has not sustained – um, any sort of consistency, I'll go ahead and take a look at the Auburn Tigers. For every good season, every elite season Auburn's had, you got to mix in about two or three dumpster fire seasons uh, in, in, uh, with those. Auburn's on the same level as a program like Florida State to me. Historically, yeah, okay, good. Got some tradition, got some history, certainly have some legends. Not a blue blood. No, and I would even... I'd put Florida State on this list before I put Auburn I on think, this list. I think I would too. Florida State in the '80s, a, a good program. Florida State in the '90s, an elite program. Um, again, like which decade do you look at and say, "Wow, Auburn was exceptional here"? Again, for a time in the '80s, not really any time in the '90s. Uh, early 2000s, they had a year or two. 2010, of course, they, they won the national championship, but there's never really been any sort of consistency over the course of a decade like Florida State had. I don't, man, this is a bad, this is a bad list. This is a really bad list. The Blue Blood conversation in college football is not that difficult. Here's who they are. Alabama is a blue blood. I will still throw Notre Dame in as a blue blood. Sure. Ohio State is a blue blood. Oklahoma is a blue blood. USC is a blue blood. I, there doesn't need to be 11 teams on this list. I think we can shorten it down to about five. Agreed. Agreed. To me, we, we, we've had this conversation so many times, but there are a few schools that are just indisputably categorized as blue bloods. Alabama's on that list. Oklahoma's on that list. Notre Dame is on that list. I would probably say Nebraska is on that list and Michigan is on that list. Yeah, it's. I think that you could have once been thought of as a blue blood, 
but at a certain point, you lose your blue blood card. Like Nebraska. If, if we... If we were sitting here in 1962 instead of 2022, we'd be talking about Army and Navy as blue blood. Well, yeah, God, and Michigan would be like the, the best program of all time with the amount of uh, wins and and national championships. Sure, but you can lose blue blood status. I think this conversation is happening in 2005. I say absolutely slam dunk. Yeah, there's been a couple tough years here recently, but Nebraska is still a blue blood. I don't consider Nebraska a blue blood today because they haven't been relevant in 20 years, and I don't see any signs that they are going to be relevant in the next 20 years. I think it's real simple. There's a list of five schools that are, are that are blue blood programs right now, and the way that the sport is moving, Parker, I don't really see that list expanding anytime soon. Um, I don't consider Clemson a blue blood just because they won two national championships in a three-year span. You've got to do more than that. You've got to be successful, to me, over multiple decades to be considered as a blue blood. Now, we could put a number on that. Do you want to put a number at three decades, two decades, four decades to win a national championship? You can do it however you want, but you have you have to have won championships in multiple decades for me to be considered a blue blood. In Auburn, I mean, what Auburn won in the did they win one in the eighties? I think yeah, eighties and then twenty ten. That that's not that's not good enough for me, man. There, there's too many bad seasons mixed in there. If you go twenty years without being relevant, you're off the list. Texas, I. I, I think Texas has been overhyped as a as a program anyway, and now mixed in with the decade of suck, I think that they've lost blue blood status at this point. God, you can't lose to Kansas twice in five years and still be considered a <laughs> a blue blood in my book. I'm sorry, you lose that at some point. Penn State to me has always been a respectable program, no doubt about it, but a blue blood, no. Like we're talking about Bama, we're talking about OU, we're talking about Ohio State, we're talking about Notre Dame. Penn State's had really nice years, but they're not a blue blood program. Their only national championships have come in the 80s, one decade. That's not elite. That's not blue blood status to me. What am I missing? I have no idea. Auburn is I, a blue I, blood. Man. There's so much. There's no right way to have this conversation either. Like, it all depends on the parameters you're using. Decade by decade, only OU, Alabama, Ohio State are the only Blue Bloods. <laughs> Maybe you could just shorten it to that three. Notre Dame still carries a lot of weight with the history, but it's been since 1988 since Notre Dame's won a national championship, you know? It's been a long time. Long time since Notre Dame won a national championship, but I, I, I still put them in that group. Still put yeah. them in that group. But at what point do – how long of a drought can you have winning a title and still be considered? I don't know. That's – why I guess you say that there's no really a right answer to this. There may not be a right answer, but there's wrong answers, and Auburn and Penn State are wrong answers. One final segment of Locked In coming up next. All right, final segment of Locked In with McComas and Thune. As always, appreciate the text, all the interaction on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. This blue blood discussion is annoying me. If Auburn, Andy Staples, why not Clemson? Seriously. If Auburn, why not Clemson? At least Clemson's had a a dominant decade. I, I I don't get it, man. This text says I don't think you can put how long since you won a title as a parameter because we are sitting at 22 years since our last one. We've played for it, but haven't won one in two decades. 
That might be fair. Um, what I have five blue bloods in the sport right now, Parker, and four of those, OU's 22 years removed from a title. Notre Dame is 34 years removed from a title. USC is 18 years removed from a title. Uh, that's three out of five. Ohio State, Even Ohio State is eight years removed from a national championship. Somebody brings up Miami on the Air Comfort Solutions sex line, and I would say Miami has an interesting case as well if you're going to open up the yeah. Blue Blood conversation as sure, wide man. as Andy Staples wants to open it. Uh, really good in the 80s, won a title in the 90s, dominant in the early 2000s. I mean, that's that's three that's three decades now. It's been a while for Miami since they, they've been relevant on the national scene, but I'll hear Miami's case, I'll hear Florida State's case, I'll hear Clemson's case, well before I hear anything about Auburn, that's for sure. Ohio State is a blue blood. I don't think it was mentioned. Um, if I didn't, yeah, my apologies, but Ohio State yeah, is, likewise. is definitely. Ohio State unquestionably a blue blood. If you put in Nebraska, then you definitely got to look at the U. Absolutely. Uh, to be a blue blood, you have to have a national championship in three different decades and a 70% winning percentage. What to you is the most important parameter in defining what a blue blood is? I would say you have to look at history. You have to look at consistency. You have to look at titles, and you have to look at legends. And those are the four categories. And you can kind of, you know, you can qualify it however you want. You can weigh or weight, rather, any of those four factors however you want. But at the end of the day, the schools that are blue bloods are pretty self-evident to me. Like, there shouldn't be this much debate. Sure. I can I can see there being legitimate debate about a couple of schools that are on the fringe. But to me, the top tier is Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Notre Dame. From there, is there anybody I'm conspicuously leaving out? Michigan. I, Michigan. Yes, okay, Michigan. You, so you think Michigan is? Michigan, yes, Michigan. Michigan's last national championship was 1997. That was split with Nebraska. Yes, but they have they have been consistently – solid as a program over the years since you uh, you can't really say the same for nebraska they've fallen upon some hard times recently so nebraska is probably the sixth team that i would have in that conversation and that's to me where it starts to get a little fuzzy you can argue nebraska has dropped off you can make a case for usc i think you can make a case for miami certainly there are a few schools that have a case, but to me, there are five legitimate blue bloods. You, you know what it is? You, you mentioned it's pretty easy, and I agree. I mean, all you really have to do is look at, you know, the schools with history that are still relevant today. Yeah. And Alabama's relevant today. Ohio State's relevant today. OU's relevant today. Notre Dame's relevant today. That's that's really all you have to do. What I find interesting is we can have the debate all day long about who's a blue blood today. I wonder what that's going to look like in, let's say, 25 years. Because this sport is shifting at a rate that maybe we've never seen it before. Parker, I, I have the opinion that the next 10 years, every national championship team is going to come out of the Southeast, out of the SEC. And I would agree. So I feel like moving forward in 25 years, who we perceive as a blue blood could potentially shift pretty dramatically. Whereas we don't look at a school like Georgia right now as a blue blood, at least I don't, maybe in 25 years, maybe Georgia is a blue blood all of a sudden because of the you know the pre, the 25-year run that they could potentially go on in the SEC. I don't know. But some schools are going to drop out 
and some schools are probably going to enter into the mix as yeah, we move forward. I'm, I'm sure Penn State had a lot stronger case 25 years ago. Yeah, sure. I mean, it in the heyday in the 80s when they uh, rack off two national championships, but I'm, I'm sorry. I don't – I cannot – you got a big stadium, Penn State, but that's – Really the only thing you have going right now to claim yourself as a blue blood. And I respect Andy. I mean, Andy Staples knows what he's talking about when it comes to college football, but take a Penn State and Auburn. I, I don't know where that comes from. Text line says he had an SEC quota to fill. Maybe he did. <laughs> Maybe he did. Well, it's understandable, but even so, where does Penn State come from? If Auburn is a blue blood, then so is OSU with their claimed national title, LMAO. <laughs> oh, man. 1945 national champs get you into the blue blood conversation. That's the most common. Oh, man. I, I, I know we're running up against the end of the show, so I don't want to get on a soapbox about it. But that might be one of the most comical things I have ever seen in all of sports is Oklahoma State retroactively claiming the 1945 national title in 2016 because they were the only school to apply for retroactive recognition in any sport and not just doing that, but putting it across your stadium uh-huh. in such a gaudy way as they as they did. To where it's like, I mean, you're in Boone Pickens Stadium. Your eyes immediately go to that giant scoreboard up on Gallagher-Iba Arena. And, it's and the 1945 National Championships right below that. They're proud of it, buddy. They wanted to show it off. All right, that'll do it for Parker. The Rush coming up next. Keep it locked right here on The Ref.